Hello there and welcome to this episode of Wolves Fancast. David Evans here and it's another induction into the Wolves Fancast Alternative Hall of Fame or as we like to call it... It's the first annual Montgomery Burns Award for Outstanding Achievement here Before we get into it, you can listen to the first podcast in our Alternative Hall of Fame, which is our award for outstanding achievement in the field of excellence. That was on Nenad Milias. It's all in your usual podcast places, so you can go check that out. If you've been listening to the series and any of our other podcasts during the lockdown, really thank you for taking the time out for some reason to listen to our voices moaning on about wolves and any other topics throughout the last few weeks and we hope you are staying safe and that you're doing well in what is a very tricky time for all of us at the moment and also if you are listening to the show on iTunes uh, and if you've got a spare moment please do give us a five-star review and a comment on iTunes look apparently it gets you up the rankings that's what I'm told but if you've got a moment and you listen on iTunes please if you can give us that five-star review and a comment on iTunes and if you're a first-time listener you can subscribe and download to the podcast at any of your usual podcast places right all that waffle out the way in this episode of the award for outstanding achievement in the field of excellence we're talking about this man oh complete missed kick by Richards but it's driven in by the captain it's 3-0 to Wolves, to Wolf the scorer. <laughs> 32 minutes gone, Wolves at last have found their form and found it in some style. Well taken goal this actually. Very well struck. Superb 1-2 by Dean Richards here, fools everybody. Beautifully struck ball the man with the name and the hair to make every man want to be him and every woman to want to be with him. What else was there not to like about John D. Wolf on this podcast? Talking about that man, I've got Andy with me. Hello. And I've got Roy as well. Hello. All on the Skype line. Uh, Andy liking the kitchen. Oh, yeah, it is like perfectly framed, isn't it? I've yeah. just noticed. And Roy, have you gone into your, one of your daughter's bedrooms to uh, yeah. record you know, this? <laughs> This, 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 yeah, you can probably see a cot actually. Um, yeah, so this is slap office, um, <laughs> slash cot, yeah. So, yeah, this is Margot's room. So, um, yeah, this is how we're she, all adjusting to life now. She may be joined at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just obviously, we're going to talk about John D. Wolfe. He's our next inductee in the Fancast Alternative Hall of Fame. He joined Wolves in December '94 for around 600k. He was made captain by Graham Taylor and was very much an imposing central defender. We're going to go into a lot of things about uh, John D. Wolfe in this episode. But, Jens, just to kick things off, what were your overriding memories of uh, Mr. D. Wolfe? He was a rock star. I mean, before we had John D. Wolfe, the most exotic player we had was probably Paul Jones from Wales. <laughs> yeah. We just didn't sign players who weren't from the British Isles, especially one who, you know, in less than a few months prior, was in the Dutch World Cup squad. Back in 94, to sign at a foreign player, you had to be Man United or, mm. you know, one of the big teams. So for Wolves to do it, it was so exciting. And he looked like an absolute Adonis as well, which... You know, it's just amazing. Everything you'd want for a centre-half. Roy, what were your overriding memories? 
I think similar, and, and you know, your introduction there in terms of um, you know describing John DeWolf <laughs> just so charismatic, you know, and, and as Andy re- referenced there, you know, this guy, massive man mountain, you know, flowing hair, beard, you know, he'd, he'd wear his gold earrings just as he's coming out to the tunnel. And as, as, as Andy said as well, you know, we'd brought, I think, a lot of British players in, you know, well, I think we'd brought Frogger and Daly and obviously Goodman joined on the same day. So John DeWolf kind of felt a little bit um, sort of out there. So I think, you know, it was it was a signing where it really kind of yeah it made you sort of stand up and we'll perhaps go on to it in a moment because I know me and Andy both um, watched his debut you know watching him sort of in the flesh I remember as a as a school kid seeing this guy and this this um, you know the, the the look of him and and you know the he's got this long throw in his armour and sort of the way he, um, sort of carried himself he had. He had an aura about him, and I think that's why we're discussing him, because, yeah, the stats in terms of, unfortunately, injury curtailed his career, but as an impact, and perhaps a short one, he made one because he was kind of larger than life, wasn't he, as a, as a character, as a footballer? And oh, and for uh, John DeWolf, he, made, he only made 28 appearances for Wolves, strangely, given the kind of stature he's got at Wolves. He scored five goals. We know where three of them came from, gents. But can you tell me where he scored those other two goals from? Oh, hello, Dan. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, he's got he's got a famous hat trick against uh, Port Vale. Port vale. Two yeah. other goals, separate goals. I know he scored another penalty. Um, well, he scored one in the shootout, didn't he? But I don't think that'll yeah, count. No, no that, um... not, not counting it... that one. <laughs> Was it Charlton he scored a penalty against? I might have it written down, to be honest. I'm getting this from Wikipedia, by the way. So, Sheffield United. Yeah. That was his first goal for us. Which was a penalty, and, yeah. Yeah, it was. And we ended up drawing that 2-2. I remember that game quite well. Because we were 2-0 down in that game. We basically scored yeah. two goals in the in like injury time. We did. It was um, Nathan Blake scored yes. two against us that day. Yes. Yeah. Um, then the hat-trick against Port Vale. Um, I mean, Andy's just reading this off in his head. I am he's, just he's, reading it now. Yeah. He's not... He's yeah. not... <laughs> <laughs> Skype or audio. Yeah. yeah uh, the other goal? The Don't know the other one. No. Uh, no. Derby County. Right. Was that oh. another penalty or... Uh, no, that was a... Uh, well, we've got an audio clip at the start of the show where people have listened, but that was a, a lovely kind of bullet kind of goal from the uh, inside the box from a corner. Oh, yes. Sorry, I do remember that, yes. Um, I'm going to ask you about that game against Port Vale because if you watch the highlights of that game, um, he's three goals, two headers, and a penalty. It's still a famous hat trick, though. People still talk about that. You know, I know it's very rare, perhaps these days, to see a hat trick from a Wolves player, but still, it's a hat trick that a lot of people talk about. Was it more that because he was a defender that we just don't see that anymore? I think so. I, I can't recall another defender scoring a hat trick, to be honest. Especially no, a centre half. I think I, I, when I was just reading up on on DeWolf just prior to this, um, he did an interview with Four Four Two, and I think Billy Wright um, got a hat trick. So uh, that's probably as far back as you would you would go. So yeah, I think it was just unusual. I know he take took a penalty, and there was a little anecdote which um, I saw online as well, whereby um, he was surprised to be given the the hat trick ball because in Holland at that time. 
you'd only get the hat trick if you you scored three consecutive goals, i.e., they were uninterrupted and was, there wasn't the equaliser. Um, so yeah, I think. I mean, he was aerially. I mean, in the box, he was just a leader, wasn't he? Sort of in both boxes. So he was always, you know, looked likely. And and that's not, I know three in one game, but in a number of games, it's not a bad return. So it kind of got that in his locker. But yeah, the only one I remember against us was it was it Butterfield, the Palace, was he a defender and he got a hat trick out of nowhere? That oh, in that F- yeah, the FA Cup game. Yeah, um, like ITV or something. Yeah. <laughs> If you watch the highlights of that game on YouTube as well against Paul Vale, that pitch is terrible. Mm, like it's yes. cut up, and you just think he scored a hat trick still. I mean, I know two of them were headers, but still. And Bully's goal in that game, which was I think his first finish. one back from injury, yeah, was incredible, incredible. Um, what was strange about the time uh, with DeWolf signing was why he joined Wolves because back in Holland. He was almost very much seen as a god at Feyenoord. He'd won a Dutch title and three Dutch trophies in four years. He got to a semi-final of a Cup Winners' Cup, the last 16 in the Champions League, and then he joins Division 1 Wolves. Which doesn't really work out, does it? (laughs) Um, Which, if you think about it, in some ways, in today's game, that's quite unheard of. You'd see this glorified kind of player doing so well, and they almost drop a division in another league. I think when you look at the time as well, the Dutch league was a good league. It's not like if you were playing, say, Scottish Premier League and then going to know the championship. That's not really a step down. That's a step up, if anything. Mm. Whereas Mm. the Dutch league back then, you know, you had some good teams. You had your Ajax, your PSV, Feyenoord were, you know, a team to be reckoned with back then. And I, and I think to, to that note as well, you know, when he signed to, for us, he was only 32 as well. So this isn't a player towards the end of his career. Um, you know, he, he had a few years after us, although I think some of those, I think he's talked about, you know, literally was playing on one leg because of the injury he had with Wolves. But at 32, and as Dave referenced, you know, a title winner, a, a, an international as well, although I think he had a... I think a five-year gap between um, caps, but you know, a guy who'd won titles in the league—it was a massive coup. Um, and I, I, I guess it just kind of just fitted, didn't it? Really, I think it was high-profile at the time because Graham Taylor was in charge, and we were making some big signings at that level. Um, and the fact that you know our colours were close to the the Dutch team and his name—it just—it kind of just all fitted. It, it was, um, and yeah. I mean, his name, I mean, that is pure nominative determinism, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. the Ian Constate is just a load on the name, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Um, there's a really good piece on The Athletic when uh, John DeWolf did an interview with Tim Spears and they talk about when Taylor actually went to meet uh, DeWolf in Rotterdam to try and sign him. And, and DeWolf says, within a minute, I knew I wanted to go. To be honest, I knew little of the club other than Billy Wright, a Wolves legend. I'd seen a lot of English football through growing up, watching the FA Cup finals on Saturday afternoon, and players like Tony Adams and Steve Bruce. I thought it would suit me. Full stadiums and my type of football. And if you read the article, it goes on to talk about how perhaps money was a factor. Wolves were outspending most Premier League teams at the time. Mm-hmm. Graham Taylor was trying to restore his reputation after England. And Taylor had actually met De Wolf. And had a chat with him after Holland's 2-0 win over England, which basically resulted in, a, <laughs> in Taylor sacking. So it's just ironic, really, that perhaps maybe Taylor had earmarked him as a player he'd like to sign at a future club. Well, that was DeWolf's last game for Holland, mm. was the 2-0 victory against England. That was his, his final cap for the international team. 
I know he went to the World Cup, but he never actually got on the pitch. So it is quite ironic that he helped get Graham Taylor the sack and then came over to England to try and help him rebuild his career. Oh, very much so. Gents, I'm going to talk about... Um, we've all done a bit of a deep dive on DeWolf. Um, any kind of, of... Not just your own memories, but any kind of stories or anecdotes that we've discovered about DeWolf's career or in general from when he was at Wolves? I think in terms of, uh, uh, you know, we we looked into sort of uh, DeWolf. I, I remember him just personally, as, as as I mentioned earlier, really as a sort of a school kid and seeing this sort of leader and sort of, you know, he just stood out, you know, he was somebody who, you know, we were sort of box office sort of material um, and he was, he was an absolute joy to watch. But looking back uh, retrospectively, I remember, I think that summer I went away with the school and I met some Dutch guys and, you know, when you talk football, you just realise what an icon he was and, and what a celebrity he was in Holland. And then sort of his post-career, um, there's some really sort of funny um, tidbits we found out. So he was on Dancing with the Stars, where he was in the bottom two for the first three shows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but showing his popularity, the public kept him in for the first two shows and then, and then he, he left the show. Um, and also, um, I haven't found too much information on this, um, but there was a programme called Sleeping with John as well. Um, <laughs> and, and and that kind of seems like something we could get on board with, like a Partridge Time um, TV show. And, and also, he was in a couple of films. Um, one, if it's loosely translated, uh, uh, translates to The Passion of the Christ, where he played Barabbas. <laughs> And oh, also I was hoping he, you were going to play Jesus in that. Yeah, well, yeah, too, too cliche. Um, but yeah, and, and the other thing I, I, well, I thought was amusing when I was reading up was that we've actually got him to thank for um, a signing of another Wolves forward in recent years, a fan cast favourite, Paul Gladden, because apparently uh, Paul Gladden contacted DeWolf because DeWolf was a trainer of his at Rotterdam, and DeWolf said, yeah. Just, just go, get on the next aeroplane and, and sign for the club. So, yeah, thanks for that, John. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, Stephen Oborty are uh, forever grateful for that. Yes. Kept them in business. Because uh, he was, yeah, dual force escape for Wolves um, around the 2015, uh, looking at Holland area. So that kind of all makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Andy, anything that you found out at all about the old DeWolf or any of your own kind of personal memories of DeWolf? Well, I remember, because um, I started following regularly the year before, so it had been 93, 94. And we were in for a centre-half then, and we ended up with Peter Shirtliff. I don't know if you remember him, but... Now, that's, a Dan, seemed... that's a Dan fancast question right there. Oh, God, yeah, it's a bit of a throwback. I think, I think he was caretaker manager as well, wasn't he? He was, Andy? apparently. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. remember that, but it, I, when yeah. I read it, he was. But I remember signing him, and he was just... Even though he was 31, 32, he seemed a lot older, he was slow, and... And then we signed Neil Emblem the following year, who was supposed to be the defensive player, but his debut, obviously, is quite famous, where he trod on the ball and fell over was the first thing. <laughs> so he never got a go in centre de- central defence. And then we got in John, John DeWolf. So it was like it was this progression of old and slow, mm. a little bit shit, and then all of a sudden, DeWolf. And he just seemed to be this... I don't know, what, what's the term I'm looking for? It was just such a huge step up in... In quality to get mm. him in, and it, yeah, the way he sauntered around the pitch was just fantastic. And I remember when 
I can't remember who it was we played against. I remember being in the bottom of the now Steve Ball. And there was some Dutch people in there wearing their Feyenoord shirts. Mm. Something which now, obviously, mm. we see of, you know, um, from Mexico. We've seen a few Mexicans come across and what have you. But this was back in the 90s where that just seemed a little bit unheard of, especially in Wolverhampton. I, th- I think it's mentioned in that Tim Spears piece uh, where they talk about that the busloads of Dutch fans would come over to Wolverhampton mm-hmm. just, just because of him. It's, it, you know, there's this concept at the minute where we think where football's going to go is that you're going to get not only tourism fans, but fans who just follow a certain player, like Ronaldo or Messi. They'll just go to games where he is. He was almost like, in some ways, locally, the original of that. Yeah. He was Pretty like the cursor. people who were just fans of him. Um, I did some deep deep diving, of course, gents, on uh, on DeWolf. Uh, a few stories I found out. Um, so many years ago, when he was at Feyenoord, a, a Feyenoord fan got a massive tattoo of him on his back. I mean, it's a big tattoo. It's a re- it's proper covers the kind of the top our our top right shoulder, massive DeWolf face. And there's a picture of DeWolf signing it, and then, and then uh, in 2012, uh, DeWolf was in a commercial for a company called Ditso. Um, it's a very strange commercial. I can't really understand what's going on. He's in a hospital bed and he's just moaning. Um, <laughs> but he was up for something called the Golden Loki, which is a prestigious advertising award in Holland. Um, and from reading the story, when I had to do it on the old Google Translate, the guy who got the tattoo said that if he won the award, he would have to amend his tattoo to incorporate that he won this award. <laughs> do you think that? Do you think that um, this Ditto advert won the Golden Loki in 2012? He must have done, surely. How could you turn down John DeWolf? No, he didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've um, just seen a picture of the tattoo. It is massive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one, like, when I, when I, if you look at the, the guy who's got that tattoo, Andy, I'm yeah. saying he's probably maybe mid-twenties, late-twenties. Yeah, something like that, I'd So that's say. in 94. So that's 25 years ago. He's 50 <laughs> now. I'm just wondering... How happy is he that he's got... I'm mean, sure he's ecstatic, but he's got a massive John DeWolf face yeah. on the back. <laughs> I wonder if he's got any other players on his back now. <laughs> just alongside John, it'd be awesome. I'm, Probably I'm got, what, Burkamp? i have to have a look. Burkamp, um, Clivert, <laughs> Mark Overmars, people like that. Um, he was in another reality <laughs> TV show, which I couldn't find any details about, called Fighting with the Stars. He looks like he could be a bit of a boxer, to be fair to him. I did see that he did like get knocked out in like the second or third week by someone, but still fighting with the stars. <laughs> That's the kind of show I want to see. Um, and the other bit I want to mention is uh, for people to go do their own research as well on this, because it's on YouTube. He Before the 94 World Cup, he took part in a show in Holland called Banana Split, which seems like a bit of a prank show. And in the show, he was pranked to uh, take part in what he thought was a commercial for men's makeup. Um, and basically, he talks. He, he, he's on this commercial. He does his men's makeup, and he's uh, he's with one of his um, compatriots called Reggie Blinker, who played for Holland as well. He's in on the act as well. And I'm just going to play a clip now of what he says in the commercial. Right, three, two, one, action, John. Hello everybody, I'm John the Wolf from Finder, the Dutch soccer champion, and this is my friend Reggie Blinken. Hi. We hope that you watch the World Soccer Championship on your TV to encourage your favorite players. 
And we also hope that all our colleagues will use Sports Up so that you may well recognize them on American TV. Sports <laughs> Up, the newest makeup for every sportsman who wants to be seen. So let's make it clear. Sports Up goes World Cup. When he left Wolves, he, you know, the reason why he had 28 games really was because he had, you know, he, he struck the the known Molyneux injury curse. Um, he wasn't really favoured by Mark McGee. He left in 96. He said on McGee, when McGee came in, I knew it was over for me. We didn't have a relationship. Nose in the air. He was not one of us. Taylor was a people person. McGee wasn't. So do you think John DeWolf could have been even greater in our eyes if he hadn't been injured? Or are, are we looking back at his time still in a bit of rose-tinted glasses? Because under Taylor, Wolves were still conceding a lot of goals despite the fact that we had people like John DeWolf in the team? I, I, I think the former. I do I do really think, and I, and I think to add context to this, when I've listened to a lot of players of that era and they've talked about the, the Graham Taylor side, many of those players will say if, if DeWolf had stayed fit, they would have gone up. You know, they've all been pretty uniform in that decision. And going back to my, my days watching him, I can see that, you know, he had such an impact I think, you know, when he made his, his debut, we hadn't been keeping clean sheets and we'd kept a clean sheet uh, first in 17 games or something ridiculous. Um, you know, so, yeah, we were conceding goals, but with what he, he offered as a presence, what he offered as a, as, a, as a leader and as a respect, someone, as we've talked about, who's won titles and commanded that respect, um, then absolutely, I mean, hindsight's a, a wonderful thing. And, you know, nostalgia can kind of not, not play tricks, but perhaps, as you say, give you a different viewpoint but I think you know you, you speak to people of that that era who played with him and, and, and supported the team there's a general consensus that we would have gone up automatically if DeWolf had stayed fit you know that's that's how much of an impact and how, and, uh, how consistent he was at that time. Yeah he was a very good for us and obviously once he got injured though we did sign Dean Richards shortly afterwards which Ended up being a blessing, obviously. But if we'd have been able to have the two of those fit together, oh. I genuinely think that could have been a hell of a combination. You'd have had a Rolls-Royce and a Harley-Davidson playing next to each other almost. <laughs> like polar yeah. opposites, but I think that sometimes works, doesn't it, where you've got the, the two opposites coming together? I, th- I think DeWolf would definitely be the Harley-Davidson, wouldn't he? You, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he, he looks like a biker, doesn't he? Yeah. It's it, it you know he's one of those things that he's ju- he's just so iconic and I put it out earlier asking for memories and it did make me laugh because somebody got back to me and said well we went to watch him in a reserve game towards the end of his, his time at Walls and kickoff was delayed because the ref spotted had got all his earrings in so we all had to wait for him to remove his <laughs> earrings to start and he, he he was and I think you know as I think Andy referenced he was rock star material. You know, the way he looked, you know, that long hair, the beard, you know, the physique. He, he was iconic. And, you know, we when we're doing these these, these um, series of, of players, what we're, we're trying to do, and I know what um, the guys did when they featured Milias, uh, is they won't get, get in the conventional Hall of Fame at Wolves, but they'll get in because they have an affinity and we have an affinity with them because of the impact they had for that short time. Um, and, yeah, he was just so different to... To what we've experienced, and a very, a very good footballer. Unfortunately, his um, his time was was cut short. 
There was a tweet also from uh, Paul Nichols as well. He said, uh, saw him play at the Hawthorns. Oh, I think it's this, is this the same one. Saw him play at the Hawthorns in a reserve game after coming back from injury. Me and my brother were unknowingly sitting oh, no. next to his wife, came over to the end to kiss her, and he was colossus. <laughs> <laughs> um, looking at uh, post-Wolves life then for uh, De Wolf when he left Wolves, he went back to Holland and played for a team for, called VVV Venlo. Is that how you say it? <laughs> that, that's a proper championship manager team, that is. <laughs> it's one where you send your scouts and hope you get a, a bargain. Yeah. He played for a range of teams after that. He retired in 2000 at a team called Zvort Wit 28, who were actually dissolved in 2004. That's how much I tried to find some stuff about that team. <laughs> and then after that, he's had numerous managerial roles. Um, I said he was even a scout in Holland for Wolves at one point in 2015. He's had many roles as well as a sports pundit. But at the moment, he's one of the assistant coaches back at Feyenoord under Dick Advocate, who I think he's... A caretaker manager at Fire and at the minute. Uh, a strange one. Um, so, gentlemen, I mean, kind of wrapping up on the DeWolf thing, why is it that DeWolf, by Wolves fans, do you think, was so loved in such a short space of time? And even to this day, we can talk about DeWolf in such high regard and with smiles on our faces. What is it about? What, why is it in such a short space of time we, we really came to, to love him as a player? I think part of it for me and it's something we haven't touched on quite strangely that Sheffield Wednesday game in the FA Cup up until probably Man United maybe I don't think there's been a game that was quite as electric or an atmosphere quite as electric at the Molyneux as that Sheffield Wednesday game obviously 3-0 down and he scored the penalty that brought us back to 3-all and the way he celebrated like it was the most important goal that he'd ever scored and it was a fourth round replay. You know, he wasn't in the grand scheme of things. He's not winning a cup. But I think in that action, it showed how much he took the club to his heart and vice versa, how much we took him to our heart. I think that played a massive part. A bit like maybe um, Catrone earlier in the year, how everyone embraced him because of how much he embraced everyone. And I think John DeWolf was very much like that back then. I mean, there's a stories in there on that against back on the Team Spears piece where he was asked because John Wolf took the penalty before Chris Waddle took the penalty, that yeah. Chris Waddle missed, and there's a picture going around of Wolf almost like smiling at Chris Waddle while he walks mm. along and he's cupping his ear. And in the in the Team Spears piece, he talks about what did you say to to Chris Waddle, and apparently he was told to call him a blockhead. And Wolf was a bit <laughs> like, oh, I don't know, this is what I was told to call him. This is what everybody else told to call him. Uh, Roy, what do you think? What, why was he? Why is he still to this day so loved for such a few appearances? I, I think it all comes down to the fact that he was just so unique in terms of, you know, uh, his, his court status. I think uh, there's, there's two points to it for me. One is is just his, his overall look and his charisma, um, but also the fact that he was a very good footballer. He was a very good leader, and he came in at a time where it was a sign of intent. And I think you know. Signing someone of his calibre and you know someone who's been so successful really kind of was a big statement piece, a big bookmark moment in sort of Taylor's regime where you thought we mean business now. Um, and really, when you look at leaders, you look at captains and people who've wore the armband. This was a guy that you just thought he would just go to war for you. He was that type of player. So for, for those reasons, for me, in his house in Wolverhampton, he had a swimming pool. I mean. <laughs> 
Nice. Just shows you the colour of the man. He comes to Wolverhampton. <laughs> he has a swimming pool. Probably one of the only people in Wolverhampton that's got a swimming pool in his house. Even probably to this day, that house is probably one of the only ones in Wolverhampton with a swimming pool. <laughs> I, I'm just imagine he's got his, his initials engraved at the bottom of the pool. I would, I'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, John DeWolf, he is the second inductee in Wolves Fancast alternate Hall of Fame, or as we like to say, the award for outstanding achievement in the field of excellence. Gentlemen, thank you for sharing your memories with John DeWolf. And if people are listening and have got their own suggestions for alternative players that you think should go into our Hall of Fame, uh, email us at podcast at wolvesfancast.com or contact us on our socials and uh, let us know your suggestions. Gentlemen, thanks for your time and uh, stay safe as usual in the lockdown. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.